Hi there and welcome. The First Christian Church podcast ministry features the teaching and preaching of the First Christian Church in downtown Roseburg, Oregon. Here's today's message. We are in the book of Mark this morning, so if you have your bulletins, you have your outlines in front of you, or maybe you're uh, looking at it at the Bible app, we'll be in Mark chapter, I think, 14 or 15 this morning as we inch our way to the celebration of Easter. We'll take the next, uh, this week and next week to finish up this study called At the Cross. And what we've been doing is we've been taking some time and to consider what happened at the cross. We, um, if we're not careful, we can take the cross for granted. We can think of the cross as a symbol rather than something that actually had a very vital role on Jesus' death, his resurrection, um, if we're not careful, we will think of it as only uh, emblematic and not maybe an actual piece of torture that it was used for. And so uh, we started two weeks ago looking at the Messiah at the cross, and it was important, I believe, for us as we inch our way to the Easter celebration to recognize that when we call Jesus Messiah, when we call him the Christ, what we are doing is we are affirming Old Testament scripture that began in Genesis all the way through the book of Malachi. We're affirming the words that were spoken in the gospel when, uh, when Peter said, well, I believe you are the Messiah. We are affirming that Jesus Christ alone was the Messiah. We looked at scriptures, and over 300 of them are found in, uh, in the Gospels and in the Old Testament, but we looked at 15 scriptures that affirm this prophecy that Jesus was the Messiah. Last week, we looked at the thieves at the cross, and we look at the image of the thieves uh, being on Jesus' left side and on his right side, and what that means for us today is that we have a choice, and the greatest gift that the cross gives us is Jesus dying on the cross, but ultimately giving us a choice whether to embrace him as our Messiah. Next week, we're going to have Palm Sunday, and we're going to have our kids take part in the service with the palms at the top of the service. You'll want to be here for that, but during the message portion, during our study, we'll begin looking at Psalm chapter 22 in the Old Testament, and we'll look at the words that Jesus uttered at the cross from Psalms 22 and we'll look at the King of the Jews at the cross. Today, we examine six hours at the cross. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 15 and verse 16 this morning. Mark chapter 15 and verse 16, where the scriptures say this, The soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that is the praetorium, and called together the whole company of soldiers. They put together a, put a purple robe on him. And they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on him, and they began, to call, uh, they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his clothes on him. At the end of verse 20, they led him to crucify him. Today's message is a bit different as we wrestle with the agony of the cross. And while it might be a little bit different, it also might be a little difficult as we look at what Jesus endured at the cross. It was just a few hours before these verses that Jesus prayed in Gethsemane. He's then betrayed by Judas, one of his closest uh, of 
all the disciples, the 12 disciples, Judas was, uh, was there to betray him and Jesus is arrested. He's led before the council where he must answer for his supposed crimes and we know the story. Jesus remains silent. Peter denies Christ as was foretold and Jesus has his trial before Pilate and in a stunning turn of events when asked who they would rather have released back to him, Jesus who was one of them or Barabbas who was this, this thug, this thief who, uh, who uh, insisted on, on insurrection of the people, this, this thug who would uh, go on to do multiple other crimes when given an option between Jesus and Barabbas when they asked for Jesus' face, the crowd pointed at Jesus and said, Crucify him. We then come to the verses that we just read a moment ago describing how the soldiers mocked Jesus. And then we see these words at Mark chapter 15, verse 20. They led him out to crucify him. Even before Jesus was led out and before he was whipped and before he was beaten, uh, beaten his physical condition was already weak. We know in Luke chapter 22, it reads this way, in being in anguish, when he prayed more earnestly, his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And so as we continue this study at the cross, we see that before his crucifixion, Jesus would be scourged or whipped. Think of what Jesus endured up until this moment. He had the emotional distress of losing his disciples, the relationship he had forged over those three years. He suffered a physical beating at the, ho at the home of the high priest. There was a sleepless night. He suffered physically, and now he was going to be forced to walk more than about two and a half miles to his own crucifixion. Scourging was a legal preliminary to every Roman execution. There's a few exceptions they had. They wouldn't scourge women and they wouldn't scourge Roman senators uh, or soldiers except in the cases of desertion. And the goal of scourging was this, to weaken the victims to the state just short of collapse or death. And so the Roman soldiers repeatedly struck the victims back with full force. The iron in the elements would cause deep contusions and the leather thongs and sheep's bones often used would cut into the skin and into the tissues. Then as the flogging continued, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce ribbons of bleeding flesh. Pain and blood loss generally set the stage for circulatory shock. And the extent of blood loss may well have been determined how long the victim would survive the cross. They led him to crucify him. The severe scourging with its pain and blood loss left most of the victims in a pre-shock state. We talked about how his, uh, he suffered this condition where he was sweating as if it were drops of blood. The medical condition, albeit rare, is called hematidrosis, which rendered his skin particularly tender. So the physical and mental abuse handed out by the Jews and the Romans, as well as the lack of food, water, and sleep, I want you to consider the physical state Jesus Christ was in at the cross. Even before the actual crucifixion, Jesus' physical condition was at least serious, if not critical. 
We, knew, we know from the other accounts of the crucifixion in Matthew that they stripped him of all his clothing. This was no doubt painful, but it opened up those wounds that had just begun to heal. We see that Simon was tasked with carrying this cross for Jesus, no doubt because of the weakened state of Jesus and everything he had done prior to the day of crucifixion. We come to verse 22 in Mark chapter 15. I think your notes might say Luke 23, but I made a mistake. It is Mark chapter 15. It says this, They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. Verse 25, it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. You see, in the days of the New Testament, the practice of crucifixion needed no explanation because this was normal. When you had a criminal that had gone beyond the acceptable uh, uh, restraints of the law, this was the punishment. This was the way that you would punish the worst of the worst. And in many generations since, most people do not appreciate why a person experienced the ordeal of execution by crucifixion. If you're following in your notes, although the Romans did not invent crucifixion, they perfected it as a form of torture and capital punishment that was designed to produce a slow death with maximum pain and suffering. I told you this would be a little bit difficult as we wrestle with the agony on which Jesus endured. The combination of the scourging and crucifixion made death on the cross especially brutal. I want you to think about the victim's back as it was torn open by the scourging. Then the clotting bud was then ripped open when the clothes were torn off. The victim was thrown on the ground to fix his hands onto the crossbeam, and the wounds on the back were again torn open and contaminated with the dirt. The victim hung on the cross, and each breath caused the painful wounds on the back to scrape against the rough wood of the upright beam. And when the nail was driven through the wrist, it added an unusually additional amount of pain. It severed a a large nerve, and this nerve would produce excruciating bolts of pain in the arms. And often, according to Roman literature, often gave the victim's uh, hand a claw-like grip that would not release. Beyond the pain, the major effect of crucifixion was to restrict normal breathing. So think about the weight of the body pulling down on the arms and the shoulders. And it tended to fix the respiratory muscles in an inhalation state, which would hinder the ability to exhale. And so the lack of adequate respiration resulted in severe muscle cramps, which further hindered breathing. And so to get a good breath, I want you to picture Jesus pushing against his feet, flexing the elbows, lifting his body. Again, open wounds, open sore against the the wood of the cross and putting the weight of the body on the feet, producing searing pain, flexing, trying to get another breath. Lifting the body for a breath was incredibly painful. And every breath was just closer to that soon death that was just imminent. Not uncommonly, according to Roman literature, um, insects would light upon or burrow into the open wounds 
of the eyes, of the ears, of the nose of the dying and helpless victim. Birds of prey would tear at these sights. Moreover, it was customary to leave the corpse on the cross to be devoured by predatory animals. I want you to go to Isaiah 53 as we consider what Jesus endured on the cross. Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before this was foretold about the Messiah. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire. He was despised and rejected by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hid hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearer, so he did not open his mouth. This Jesus did and endured for us. The goal of crucifixion was a painful, embarrassing, agonizing, demeaning, humiliating death. And so death from crucifixion would come from many sources. You would have the, the acute shock from blood loss, being too uh, exhausted to breathe any longer, dehydration, the cell stress-induced heart attack, congestive heart failure leading to cardiac rupture. If the victim did not quickly die enough, or if the victim did not die quickly enough, I should say, the Roman soldiers would come at the appointed time and they would... They would, they would break the legs of, this, of the victim so that they would not be able to push up any longer to get another breath and they would die of exhaustion. How bad was crucifixion? We get our English word excruciating from the Roman word out of the cross. You say, Daniel, this is uncomfortable. This is, this is hard to hear. Yeah. It's important for us. It's important for us to wrestle, wrestle with the agony, the depiction of what Christ did at the cross. We're going to move to Luke chapter 23 now. It says this in verse 44, It was about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. So that's how many hours? Three hours of darkness. Verse 45, the sun, shop stein, the sun shot stopped shining. You try saying that three times really fast. The sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. I want you to notice verse 44, darkness came over the whole land. The remarkable darkness all over the earth showed the agony of creation itself in the Creator's suffering. Now, the crucifixion took place during the Passover season. Passover season is always held during the full moon. 
And so a natural eclipse of the sun is quite impossible during the full moon. The Greek word for land here could be translated earth, indicating the whole world. Um, as I did research, there are several historical and uh, sources that suggest that the universal darkness did occur. History relates that in a report from Pilate to Emperor Tiberius, Pilate assumed the emperor's knowledge of a certain widespread darkness, even mentioning that it took place from noon to three on that afternoon. During this time, we see in Matthew and Mark's gospel, we hear Jesus crying out in a loud voice these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the horrifying presence of sin surrounded Jesus in this moment. And we read the words a little bit ago in Isaiah 53 that said this, The Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. And so to be forsaken of God was much more of a source of anguish to Jesus than anyone else because he was absolutely holy. We talked about how Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life. We sang just a moment ago, holy, there is no one like you because we recognize that he was perfect without sin, without iniquity. And so for this moment to be forsaken by God and the darkness coming upon the earth for these three hours uh, gives us a window into what Jesus' separation was like in this moment. Never for one moment during his entire earthly life did he ever step out of fellowship with God. Never for one moment did he sin. Never for one moment did he break fellowship with God. In all points, he was tempted, yet without sin. And so this darkness was quite striking. This was something the Father did in the life of the Son, so that we could come back in relationship with Him. Jesus was our conduit for this relationship. But imagine for a moment how hard this must have been for the Father, how much God loved His Son, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. And so His Son never spent a moment out of His conscious presence, and He never committed one sin, and so darkness came over the whole earth, giving us a window, a picture into what it was like for God and Jesus to have something between them. Notice also in verse 45, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Matthew 27 gives us the detail that the temple was torn from, the, the, the curtain of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom, signifying that God tore it from heaven instead of man tearing it from the earth and it gives us now free access to the throne of, God, of grace by the cross. And no one should ever think that God dwells in temples made with hands because He dwells in us now. The temple curtain was torn, signifying our access to Christ now. We look at verse 46 and we see that Jesus cried out with a loud voice. He cried to God the Father in the lines that follow. And in John 19.30, He tells us what He says, Tetelestai in Greek. It is finished. It is paid in full. This was the cry of the victory because in that moment, Jesus accomplished what Christ had set him to do in bearing the sin of the world. It is finished. With this battle cry of the cross, never again would he experience pain or be in the hands of Satan. Never again, even for a moment, would he be forsaken. When you look up the word finished, there's several definitions in it can uh, be defined as uh, being made an end of or being paid or performed or accomplished. So there in these notes, there are these questions. Uh, what 
was made an end of. Well, our sins and the guilt that accompanied them. I want you to think about when Jesus Christ said, it is finished, when He said, it's paid in full, to tell us die, what He was saying is that our sin and the guilt that accompanied Him have been made an end of. What was paid? Oh, we have talked about this. He had the price of redemption, right? Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no redemption. Remember when we looked at all those verses about the Messiah and they said you'd have to prepare a lamb in such a way and that it was foreshadowing this moment when Jesus Christ would become the very lamb of God. And so what was paid? Well, it was the price of redemption. Finish could also mean performed. Well, what was performed and what we see here is the righteous requirements of the law. What's fascinating to me is when we look at law, it is a mirror into our own life telling us we cannot measure up. In fact, here are all the ways you cannot measure up. The law and everything that it dictates walks us through the requirements of the law to satisfy a holy and a righteous God. And the law was never given to us so that we could try to measure up. It was given to us as a mirror so we could, so we could see there's no way we could measure up. And so Jesus performed the righteous requirements of the law in a sacrifice involving his own body. What was accomplished? Well, this was the work the Father had given Jesus to do. His work on the cross accomplished on the cross. And with prayer, Jesus yielded his living spirit to God and the Father as he yielded his body to the death on the cross. I want you to walk through some verses with me that perhaps we've read, but in light of everything we've looked at, when you think about the cross and the and the brutal nature of it, and the, the agonizing uh, physical experience that had to be done leading up to the cross, and then on the cross itself, we look at scriptures like 2 Corinthians 5, and it takes a new meaning. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. To be sin for us. This excruciating, agonizing six hours at the cross, this is what this verse is referencing referencing God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God first Peter says it this way he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness and then he quotes Isaiah he says by his wounds you have been healed look at the way Paul says it in Colossians he says this you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for He forgave all our sins. Look at what He says in verse 14. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. So when Christ was nailed on the cross, Paul is saying the record of the charges against us, you and I, all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our brokenness, all of our mistakes, all of our shame, all of it is now nailed on the cross. Verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. And then we come to Hebrews chapter 12. He says this, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before Him, He endured the cross. Scorning its shame, 
and yet sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured such opposition for, from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Church, this morning, the antidote for apathy in our walk with Jesus is to remember the cross. And by remembering, we gain the strength to not lose heart and to not grow weary. All these six hours at the cross, the, the two and a half miles leading to the cross, the, the day and a half right before that Jesus spent without any sleep, without any food, without any rest, his body being exposed, his skin being exposed, being scourged and whipped, the contusions that he endured, all of that. The antidote for apathy in our life is to remember the cross. Because here's the thing. When I remember the cross, it's not that hard for me to give back out of what I earn every two weeks. When I remember the cross, it's really not that hard for Libby and I to sit down and say, okay, how much are we going to give to the church? How much are we going to give to missions? When I remember the cross, it's really not that difficult anymore in comparison to the cross to invite someone to Easter Sunday. When I remember the cross by comparison, it's not that hard for me to go out of my way perhaps to pray for someone in need. When you remember the cross, everything else seems secondary, church. And when we remember the cross, the idea of forgiving someone else who hurt us in a, in a momentary mistake or a momentary uh, brokenness, again, it, it doesn't feel like we're asking too much anymore when we put it in light of what Jesus did on the cross. So, this morning as we consider the cross, as we consider the six hours at the cross, as we consider everything that Jesus did to uh, endure the, pray, the, the, the pain, the humiliation, the excruciating, agonizing ordeal at the cross, what's the next right thing, the next thing Jesus wants you to do in your life? Because when you compare that step of obedience against the cross, I think for most of us, it's just a matter of just yielding to the Holy Spirit and allowing Him to lead us. The antidote for apathy in our walk with Jesus is to remember the cross. When you remember the cross, uh, uh, giving your Sunday morning in worship with other saints isn't that much to ask anymore. When you remember the cross... Loving your neighbor isn't that much more to ask anymore. When you remember the cross, exercising grace and love and compassion for your, for your family, for your friends, for your neighbor, isn't that much more to ask. And so, church family, what I'm asking you to do is just to take a moment and let yourself wrestle with the agonizing nature of the cross. Because by remembering the cross, we gain the strength to not lose heart, to not grow weary, and to simply obey Christ. By the way, when you remember the cross... It's not that much to ask for you to give your life for, to him. To embrace the gift of salvation, to allow Christ to be in your life and for God to, to, to lead you and yourself to yield to his will when you remember the cross. Hebrews 12, verse 2 and 3. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, 
the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Let me pray for you this morning. I'm going to ask you to, with your heads bowed as I pray for you, our worship team is going to come forward as I pray. Heavenly Father, as we consider the six hours at the cross, this is difficult. It's excruciating. It's, it's uneasy to consider. It's uneasy to read. It's, it's difficult to understand exactly what you went through on the cross for us. And Father, I believe that if we are going to consider you who endured such opposition as you endured the cross, I believe it's important, Father, for us to fix our eyes on you. Six brutal hours at the cross. So Father, as we consider that, Lord, I I pray for those who who are wrestling with their next step of obedience. I'm convinced that when we remember the cross, that the next step of obedience in our walk with Christ it's put in perspective. So Father, I pray for those who are who are having a Um, a difficulty trusting you with their finances. And maybe they've 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 received extra funds that they weren't expecting. And Father, for them to, to trust you with their finances would be the next significant step of obedience. Father, I pray that they would remember the cross. And compared to what you have given to us, Father, everything we have is already yours. And I pray that they would just step out in faith and trust you there. Father, I pray for the family who has difficulty in trusting you with their children. Maybe they have kids or teenagers or their children are just going through a really, really rough spot, Lord. And and it's hard to trust you with their kids. Father, in light of what we read about the cross and what Jesus endured at the cross and what he did to give his life for us, Father, I pray that we would raise up a generation of parents and and teenagers and young people that would understand so clearly what Christ did on the cross for them that they would now yield their life to him. So, Father, the difficulty in raising teenagers, the difficulty in raising children, I pray that you would fill them with an expectancy and a hope that only comes from you and that they would trust you in raising their kids, that they would set clear boundaries, that they would love them well, that they would read the Bible with them, that they would pray with them, that they would make God a big deal in their house trusting you because you gave your life for us. I pray for couples and and, and adults who are, who are wrestling with fear right now. 
fear of the unknown and the fear of what's coming next and the fear of where our nation is going and the fear of where our community is going and the fear of this pandemic and the fear of whatever exists in their heart right now. Father, I pray that you would release them from that fear as they shift their their attention from fear to the cross. And as we embrace what you did on the cross, as we embrace what you went through on the cross for us, that we would recognize that as followers of Jesus Christ, you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and power and of a sound mind. Father, I pray for for those who are wrestling with fear. And Father, I pray for those who are uh, who are wrestling with giving their life to you maybe for the first time. And they're sitting here, they're watching online, they've, they've never put their faith and their trust in you. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, I just pray that they would consider the cross. That someone who was guilty, this would be torture. For someone who was wrongly accused, this would be beyond painful. Or for someone to volunteer, to choose, to endure the cross out of love for us. Father, that is nothing short of divine. And so, Lord, I pray for those who are in a place where they, where they need to give their life to you for the very first time. I can think of no better day, day than today. Let today be the day of salvation for those who are considering the cross maybe for the first time. with your heads bowed just for a little bit longer. If you've never placed your trust in God, let me, let me encourage you to do so. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. There's four stations around the auditorium, and at home, I'd encourage you to prepare those elements at home. In a few moments, you can identify with Christ by taking communion with us. It's designed for followers of Jesus Christ to remember to honor, to celebrate what Jesus did on the cross. And so the bread that we take together recognizes and remembers his body. The the juice that we take together remembers his blood. And in doing so, we proclaim the name of Jesus, we declare our faith, and we name the name of Christ. And perhaps today you'll take communion with us, perhaps for the first time as you embrace Christ. Boy, if you're a follower of Christ today and you're watching online or you're here in the the service, I'm going to ask you later today with your family, with your loved ones, with your spouse, with yourself to take a few moments and remember the cross. Remember what Christ endured. This is how deep the Father's love was for us. This is why we stand and we praise God and we say how great is our God. It is not just a chorus. It's not just a melody. It is a declaration of our faith because of what he did on the cross. So, Father, in this moment, as we get ready to praise you, as we get ready to sing songs maybe we've sung hundreds of times before, I pray today it would be fresh, it would be new, it would be an act of worship like never before because we've spent some time at the cross. In Jesus' name, we want to be a church that follows you wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name, we want to be a church that doesn't take the cross lightly. And in Jesus' name, we want to proclaim that you are our Savior. In you we trust. 
In your name we proclaim. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you made a decision for Christ or would like prayer with someone from our church family, we would love to connect with you. You can message us on Facebook by searching Roseburg First Christian Church, or you can email us directly at roseburgfcc at gmail.com. In addition, if you're listening to this message on Apple or Spotify, we invite you to like, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and share it on social media so others can be blessed as well. God bless you and have a beautiful day.